Hello, and welcome to episode 61 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. Every week on this show, we aim to discuss all of the week's most interesting science and tech news, and today is no exception. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. They have more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. To help out the show and get a free audiobook of your choice, as well as a free 30-day trial, please do visit audibletrial.com slash unwind, as in Unwind Media. The Audible Library includes programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and magazine and newspaper publishers. I'm joined today by Mike Cottrell, my cousin and wonderful co-host. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fantastic. It's, it's summer here. and can't get any better than that. I really wish it was summer here, but we're still we're still stuck to like double or single digits overnight. And really, uh, yeah, that's not like that's not okay with me. Overnight here. People warned me when I was moving to Calgary that I should be ready for just a lot of cold, a lot of really really bad cold. And so this El Nino year, man, yeah, good old climate is that change. something? <laughs> that voice you're hearing now is Nick Maddox, our senior contributor. Uh, the man with all the bacon and fabulous hair. Uh, Nick, I, I imagine that you're going to spend some of today, as you do almost every week, pretty bored, but we'll save that for a little bit later. Uh, as we record today, I'm hoping to get this episode actually out today. Um, the Worldwide Developer Conference from Apple is going on tomorrow. Oh, and so we're going to talk. Topical. Yeah, we'll talk a tiny now, bit about that. Sorry, I want to I wanna just briefly pause and say in your intro, you did say that today would be no exception. Right. But today is a bit of an exception because usually what I do is look up interesting stories for future chat throughout the week and then leave them as tabs on my phone. Okay. And my phone dropped like all of the tabs last night. So it is a bit of an exception. Interesting. And the worst part is... There was a story that broke almost immediately after we recorded last time. And uh, I, I remember it popping up in my feed and going, oh my God, I'm so upset I didn't have this like half an hour ago. Oh, well, it'll be great for next week. Do you think I can remember what that story was, Rob? I think what you should do is go to Chrome uh, colon slash slash history and see if you can find it. That would take a long search, longer no, than I, I have guess. This I guess you have to go a week back on your phone, but Nick, may I suggest something to integrate into your workflow? They, they have, <laughs> they have bookmarks. Is definitely a good invention. That they that's a thing. With. They also right, have. Yeah, that's totally a thing I could use. They also. Why would I need to use something else? Because that would just be effing redundant. They also have read it later apps that are very convenient, and that's what I use. I use Pocket. Yeah. So when I find a good story, I just pocket it and I'll go back and add it. So I use Instapaper. Instapaper Instapaper has Instapaper is another good one. Yeah. Instapaper. Well, pocket, you can take things as kind of bouldering type thing, but yeah. So get on that. Yeah. Please. (laughs) I don't know, man. We want to hear, I want to hear the stories that you find interesting, but this week, this week is the exception for that in that you don't, you don't have any new ones because you lost them. Uh, but so I have a couple things that I wanted to. They're not really follow up, I guess, kind of. We always talk about Google. So this one of them is kind of follow up. But uh, so I went to the Apple store yesterday. 
I thought you were and talking about Google. Google's the next one. Uh, this one's oh. about Apple. So I went to the Apple store yesterday, and the problem, the thing that I was going in for is that I had a crack in the screen on my phone. <gasps> it was a very small crack. It was a dumb thing I did. I dropped the phone like two feet onto, the, onto the soft floor of the bus. Mr. I don't need a case. And I got a hairline fracture on my phone. Uh, needless to say, immediately I made a genius bar appointment and I was going to try to get it fixed. Uh, and the reason that I recommend Apple to everybody that I go to uh, that asks that it comes to me with phone recommendations is because I went in, I showed it to him. I said, this is terrible. What can I do about it? And he said, hairline fracture, we'll replace that for you. No problem. It's going to take about an hour, but we'll replace the screen free of charge. And so now my phone is back to being its perfect little self. And I feel amazing. And I'm going to keep buying iPhones forever. To be fair, it's not free of charge. It's just included in your purchase price. It's covered in my, in my warranty. It would normally cost $129 plus GST, yeah. HST, but now it's yeah. free. You are paying for that convenience. Of Absolutely. That. And I, I will do it over and over again. Um, I, I distinctly remember Rob saying he didn't want a case because it affects how it feels. Yep. And this is basically like the equivalent of a shot of penicillin. It's like, why would I ever need to use protection when I could just get it fixed with like a simple appointment? Yep. Actually, Rob's thing was, I don't drop my phone. <clears throat> I don't. Was, and when I do, it's... I haven't heard... I'm sorry, you don't? I don't what drop... What happened to your phone, Rob? I don't drop my phone very often. When I do drop it, it's like onto oh, carpet or onto a soft very surface. Very often. Oh. <laughs> okay. So, so what happened this time? I'll tell you the caveat. I don't drop my phone often in such a way that it causes damage i have never clearly listen though listen so here here's the thing caveat after caveat very often i mean onto something that would hurt it i've dropped my phone i've even dropped my phone in such a way that it has gone skidding across an intersection face down but i have every single phone i've had i have been able to take into the store when it had some problem with a button or something and it's in good enough condition with no case ever that they will replace it under warranty because of the issue and not be like this is way too damaged you've obviously just been taking terrible care of this and this was the same thing my phone was otherwise flawless and it had this tiny crack that went across the screen and so they replaced it i've never destroyed a phone i've taken very good care of an intersection yeah i went skidding across out of my my shirt pocket when I was that's, on a bike. That's what happened to my mini disc. Yeah, I remember. It was in my jacket pocket. It and got I run kicked over, it across the it? intersection. No, I <laughs> kicked it across the intersection. And it flung open and stopped working. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I always recommend Apple. And that's one of the big reasons why. Because they just they take care of problems. Like, you pay for it. I'm not saying I don't pay for it. But, like. I was like, going to say, if you buy a warranty, they take it, care it of It comes problems. with. That's the warranty it came with. Oh, it's, okay. Yeah. Um, I've never bought an Apple warranty. I've just used what they give you. What I don't like is that if your headphones crap out and the phone is out of warranty, they won't replace the headphones. That's one of the benefits of upgrading your phone every year. Mm-hmm. I always have a less than year old phone that I can bring in the charging cable or I can bring in headphones and they'll replace them because I have a new phone. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to keep I'm going to keep doing that. 
the other thing, uh, should we talk about Mike's hashtag here first before we get to my Google thing? Uh, I also have viewer feedback. I don't know if you saw that. <clears throat> I did. Yeah. What do you got? Um, oh, I have two things. <laughs> okay. One was from a guy I was volunteering with this week. It was like, oh, yeah, we do a science and tech podcast. Sure. And his question was, or he said, please, 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 please talk about updates. And then something slightly different than that. And I can't remember what it was. But I think it was something, I think it was something to do with consistency in UI. Okay. And why does the UI have to change every single time there's an update? In operating system or apps? Apps. Often it's refinement. So they, like it, Facebook is the one case that they update their app every two weeks, regardless of whether or not there are any major changes. Yeah. And the, the interface subtly changes all the time. The reason for that generally is because they do a bunch of testing with different interfaces. Like they just try everything and see what works and they beta test. Sometimes they do AB tests where they, give some people one feature, some people another feature, and they see what kind of feedback they get about those features. And so they go with whatever works the best. So in the case, like Slack was one app that got a major update this past week. On Android, it looks totally different. Whereas on iOS, apparently they found that people liked the way it was because they rebuilt it, but it looks pretty much the same as it did before. If I can offer some additional uh, perspective, the other thing is that with operating systems, they develop their, is it APIs? Yeah. That provide guidelines for how an app should look to work with uh, that operating system. Those are human interface guidelines. But okay, yes. sure. But those come with an operating system update. Right. And in the case of Android, you have your material design. Yeah. So they, they encourage apps to adopt the material design elements so that there's consistency between apps and it you don't have an outdated looking interface with an app with the updated looking OS. So you're kind of keeping up with the way the OS looks. So that's why you'll see apps change their UI often dramatically when an OS update comes out is to keep up with those guidelines. There's no there's no obligation to, but it's more like, well, if you want people to like your app, chances are it's gonna have to kind of keep up with those those mm. changes in the look. And I'm not arguing against major yeah. changes in, uh, like, when there's a new OS edition or whatever. But I don't know. I think there's something to be said for consistency in UI. Right. Because otherwise you go for that option that you've been going for forever, and then it's just gone or somewhere else. It's like, I don't know. I'd see that being frustrating for a power user. Did he have an example? Or she have an uh, example? Not a specific one that I can remember. Okay, because I've always I found... also don't exactly remember what the question was, so that's a problem. <laughs> Whenever there's an update, I always find that I almost immediately am fine with the changes, and they make my life better. There are a couple exceptions where I've yeah. found like, oh, something got majorly worse, but usually that's the result of a policy from the company. Like one example I can think of is an app that used to exist. I don't think it even does anymore, but it was called Bump. Yeah, where you I could send, that. you could like. If you bumped two phones together, you could exchange contact information or pictures or stuff. There used to be a, a feature in Bump that was called, or that could share uh, music from your library. So if you had the new Taylor Swift song on your phone, 
and someone else wanted it, you could select that song and bump it to them. And they had to take that out because Apple was like, or at least in the Apple version, I don't know if it still exists in the Google version, but uh, you were, so you can't transfer music because that there was copyright yeah. issues. Mm. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Although yeah. a note on a different change in settings that I really disagreed with was windows eight where the settings are split between settings and control panel. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that so much. I was just, yeah, you go hunting for a setting in control panel usually because that's where they've been historically. Yeah. It's like, Oh no, you need to be in settings. And it's like, damn it. Why yeah. Don't, ah. don't they have like a spotlight feature? They do, but that not everyone knows about that. And also, like, it, what they should have is either match features of like put all the settings in both, or have an other area where yeah. you can throw features that don't fit in the categories. Because like on Windows eight, they have eight or ten different things on the sidebar, different sub sections of, of settings. But there are other ones that don't fit under any of those categories, and they're not in an other section. They're just not there. So you have to go to control. You have to go back to control panel, the old yeah. Windows Seven version, and and do it. And that still exists up to Windows Ten for some things, which is yeah, it's annoying. I get that. Yep. Um, I have one more piece of uh, viewer feedback. Yeah, and I'm gonna go verbatim. <laughs> it was. Are we live streaming this? Is that happening? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mike or uh, Rob, do you have the sensor button available? The sensor button. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, just a second. I'm going to just send this to you so you know when to hit it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be able to censor the live stream, but I'll censor the recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I, sorry, I thought you could do it now. No. Anyway, the viewer feedback was, tell Rob to close the goddamn closet door. And what's that blue thing? Oh, that's that's oh. probably me, not Rob. closet door. Yeah. It's probably my closet door. No, so, no, I think it's... I, I have a blue Rob's, thing. I think it's Rob's... Cl- well, that's the door to the hallway, but could be construed as a closet door. It, it's um, actually a bathroom door. Oh, it's but, a water closet door. But I always close it. Oh, it's that never door. open. Oh, okay, I was going to say, that's always closed. I've okay. never, ever left it open. Really? That's why I thought that it was my closet, because yeah. my okay. closet, that door is broken. That's why it doesn't close. So oh. I do, there is a blue thing right there. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is the blue thing in question. Yeah, so that What is that is, blue thing? Uh, I was wearing, when I, when I injured my knee, one of the things during my recovery was that I had to get a knee brace so that I could move around while I was healing. And I had to get this thing. This, so basically this thing you fill with ice and there's a motor inside and it pumps, like you wrap a, a, a thing around your leg and it pumps cold water through this pad and keeps your oh. knee cooled, even though it's inside the brace. So you don't have to have ice packs on it constantly. You just put this and like the ice packs would heat up and you have to change them every 15 minutes. So it just circles ice water through oh, around your knee. And I still I have it killed for that thing. That's amazing. Yeah, it it was it's been really good. I mean, I haven't used it in a long time, obviously, but it's amazing. When I broke my hip, I was just burning through ice packs. Yeah. That's that sounds that's really fantastic. good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. it, it's pretty for what it does. 
And for the fact that it's a like ostensibly a medical device, it was pretty cheap. It was a few hundred dollars, I think. Okay. So, yeah. And just on that line of questioning, I notice the bed is decidedly unmade behind you, Rob. <laughs> it's not unmade. There's just stuff on it. And the pillows are kind of askew. Anyone's oh. definition would be unmade, but the the bed okay, itself. Okay, I can kind of see that, but it it looks like just over your shoulder. This is great listening, by the way. <laughs> it looks <laughs> like just watch, over the shoulder. There's a bunch of sheets, so it looks like the sheets have been folded back, and they're just pillows everywhere. Yeah, there's some clean clothes, and there's pillows, and a Kelvin Klein bag. I have this camera has really good resolution, apparently, because. <laughs> <laughs> If you can read that it's Calvin Klein. <laughs> is that, Where's is the that Calvin a, Klein bag? It's over my shoulder. Right there. Right, right there. Oh, okay. Anyways, uh, was that it for listener feedback for the moment? Yeah, that's the viewer feedback I've All got. Right. Yeah. Uh, I guess it is viewer feedback because you wouldn't see that if yeah. you were just listening. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, fellow viewer, by the way, for yeah. that feedback. I appreciate <laughs> any sort of feedback. Yeah. So the last story I have here is something that has, there have been so many since WWDC and, uh, not WWDC, sorry, Google I.O. Uh, at the end of last week, there has been a number of articles written about the unbundling and tear out partification of Google+. Plus. Uh, one of the things... Sorry? So people are writing about how Google+, Plus is dead. They always have been. But now they're seeing tangible signs of it so-called, it's supposedly being killed off piece by piece. But I just want to clarify that that is not what's happening. That's not true. Uh, and so the examples they cite are uh, in notifications in Chrome, when you have it on the new tab page or when you're in Gmail or when you're in Google Plus, for, for instance, it, there, the notification window or tab that would pop over used to say Google Plus notifications. And now it just says Google notifications. They drop the plus. So if you click on previously read, you can see that I have a calendar notification in there. I have a bunch of Google plus notifications. I have a YouTube notification. I have an auto awesome notification. It's not just Google plus notifications. It's notifications from all of Google. I get them from blogger when someone reshares my post. Like it's not just Google plus. So why would it say Google plus? It makes no sense. So that's that's number one. Number two, which was when I saw it in the last day or two, which is extremely pertinent because we use Google Hangouts for uh, these live streams, is that when if when the feature Hangouts first launched, they were Google Plus Hangouts, but they're not Google Plus anymore. You can start them from YouTube. You can start them just from Hangouts itself. You don't have to be in Google Plus to be in a Hangout. And so in the top left, if you're watching the video, in the top left-hand corner of this, it used to say, used to have the logo and then say Google+, Plus, and now it just says Google. It's because it's not a Google+, Plus feature. It's a Google feature. And regardless of whether or not, like, they're still launching new features like collections for Google+. Plus. It doesn't mean it's going away. It just means that things that were predominantly Google+, Plus are now applicable to across Google. So they don't need to be called Google+, Plus features. They're just Google features, which is one of the things they're trying to do. They're trying to move away from Google Plus because it has a bad name, but also they're trying to have these features go across everything and not just be constrained or confined to Google Plus. So I, I just want people to stop writing those kinds of things 
or at least if you do be like talk about how they're unbundling things from Google Plus yeah. not that Google Plus is going away how about or, uh, sorry go ahead I was going to say how about if you're going to write an article actually be on Google Plus yeah. and use it and then make a judgment and say this is dead versus oh I've never used Google Plus but it's dead yeah I should note uh before we move on completely, the title bar of this window, this Hangout window that we're on right now says Google Plus Hangouts dash Google Chrome. Yeah. It's not, I mean, I launch it from the web, the web address of the Hangout is plus.google.com slash Hangout slash blah, 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 a bunch of characters. Um, it's not going away. It's, it may become less of a predominant thing that they're really yeah. pushing, but that's because they're pushing other things and like Google Photos was a Google Plus feature when it launched, but I don't think it necessarily should have been. It, you should be able to share things from Google Photos to Google Plus, yeah. but yeah, they don't have well, to be they connected. Had, they had Picasa yeah. when the Google Plus launched, so they couldn't have made it photos. Just, right. They already had a photos product. Yeah. And they killed Picasa and then came up with photos. They only recently killed Picasa. You can still yeah. download the, the program. The, oh, really? The desktop program, yeah. Um, sorry, before you get too far, I was going to say, Rob, yep. you're asking people to not be stupid and write articles that are ostensibly clickbait. I know. So it's yeah. more of a plea. Than Wouldn't it be else. nice if you just didn't have to read stupid articles, but there they are. But I, I don't really. <laughs> and so, yet you're getting worked up about it and our viewers are going to go out there and, uh, Google, you know, why is Google Plus dying? Yeah. You're just driving traffic to it, man. I know. It it's not. That's that's all I really want to say in this. Not dying. Uh okay. Oh, wait. No. Oh. I'm not done. You have one more. <laughs> I thought you were like just moving on from that talking point. No, I'm hoping that um if they do, you know, find tools within Google Plus and then make them available elsewhere. I hope that Google Plus very much resembles the, uh, I think it's the Black Knight from from uh, Monty Python's <laughs> yeah. The Holy Grail. Keeps fighting even though it has less just, less limbs. Yeah, just just keep fighting no matter what you lose. Yeah, it's just a I'm flesh hoping. wound. <laughs> that's a good I'll point. I'll bite your legs off. <laughs> All right, are you are we ready to move to the actual? Uh, main topics of the show all right i'll take that as a yes uh oh i also have <laughs> oh my now on this very topic <laughs> yeah um the quote is people read stupid articles because it's fun buzzfeed is entertaining in small amounts okay to some people and that's what a live viewer has to say on the matter okay fair enough uh, I don't particularly feel that way, but I I'm fine with other people feeling that way. Well, I suppose it also depends on your definition of stupid and your definition of fun. Yeah, I mean it's different for everybody. Yeah, I mean yeah. a lot of hockey articles are not cerebral in the least, but <laughs> right. I enjoy reading them. Yeah, I mean TLC exists. That's a that's a TV channel you can watch. But that's the learning yeah. channel. Isn't that cerebral it, by definition? Of course it is. Wait till you watch 19 Kids and Counting, but <laughs> <laughs> I digress. Yeah. Um, I think the difference is that the Google Plus is dying articles. 
to me, that's not like clickbait slash entertainment. That's just wrong and uninformed. But it can be both. I think it's it's popular to say Google Plus is dying. It's yeah, like, ha, well, ha, I mean, ha. and there are a lot of people who feel very strongly about their chosen social networks. Yeah, and I imagine the what do, what would you call them? The Facebook Facebookians army. Facebookians, Facebookians would love to read about that. Yeah, but Google Plus isn't trying to be Facebook. It doesn't want to be. Right. It's not trying to replace it. Preaching to the choir, Mike. Preaching to the <laughs> well, choir. So we have to preach you at this point. Yep. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> okay. Can can we move to this amazing science news that came out this week? I yes. guess. Okay. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but uh, news came out this week uh, from University of Virginia that there's a new, basically a completely new and undiscovered link between our immune system, human immune system, and our brain that was not known about. And that, so it's a network, a sort of map of blood vessels that connect our, our lymphatic system, which controls the immune response to things and, and, the way we fight diseases and various intruders and the brain. And so there are a bunch of implications. I haven't, I didn't read the actual paper, but I've, I've tried to read as much as I could on the topic. Apparently there are a bunch of implications for diseases, neuro, neurodegenerative, degenerative diseases like uh, autism and things like uh, MS and Parkinson's and all this. Is autism neurodegenerative? No, no, no. I mean, there are a bunch of, neurodegenerative diseases uh oh, okay alzheimer's multiple yeah. or yeah ms parkinson's yeah anything that are things in the way the brain works combined with immune responses uh i don't know it, it's kind of crazy to me like this this kind of thing comes out all the time i've been talking about this with with people in real life uh this week it seems crazy to me that like a, a map of blood vessels on our brain like we've we've done so many autopsies on so many people over the years, over the decades and millennia, that these things weren't seen for what they are. Like it took someone doing a specific thing that they they weren't actually trying to discover this. They just happened to look at our brain system in a different way and discovered these these blood vessels on the brain that had uh like immune cells in them. And it basically is going to rewrite textbooks completely. And it's the kind of thing, it's the kind of medical discovery that comes about once in a generation. There, there was recently, I forget when it was, when it was actually happened, but for, for the longest time, doctors thought that there were four um, ligaments in the knee. And then a fifth one was discovered. And it was just like, it, like you're looking at a knee and they've, they've torn uh, cadaver, bodies apart like you've done complete autopsies for in medical schools and in research centers around the world they make it for, sound pretty gruesome with torn apart i mean like dissected is is the scientific term they, they've been looked at but it's so hard to see these kinds of things in in dead tissue like you need to see how they work and how they work when things are alive and so that was how these things are found like th- there's new techniques in mri that are that are giving us access to all kinds of things in live people 
And I just think that like these kinds of discoveries are so awesome. And I, I'm so excited to see, because these are, they're a class of disease, like things like Alzheimer's and MS. They're diseases that we can kind of treat, but we don't really know what causes them. Or we, we, we didn't really have any way to study how they are caused. And this is one thing that can now give us a giant insight into how, how the brain works and how our immune system works with the brain. Because before we thought it really didn't. And now we're seeing that it does. Yeah, like I know as far as medical diagnoses go, if watching House gives any sort of indication <laughs> of how medicine works, which it may or may not, you come up with different mechanisms for something to be caused and you kind of decide what's the most likely or kind of and work your way down the list from there. So once you kind of eliminate the most likely one, then you kind of keep going until you run out of mechanisms that could have caused a condition. And this basically opens up a whole nother scope of mechanisms because before they didn't realize that there was that connection between the immune system and the the brain. Yep. But now there is. So it's like in the unsolved cases, it's like, oh, well, now we can try this, this, and this to treat it or to figure out what the issue is. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there, there was also, it, and this is, I'm not sure if it's earlier, but anyway. There is a school of thought in medical treatment that you can cure disease by treating the symptoms. And that's, I think, it's how they got the upper hand on the plague eventually. Yeah. Okay. I think like people were just, you know, dying of dysentery because the, caused by the plague. And so they're like, oh, geez, give them a lot of fluids. And like, yeah. 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 It's it's the kind of thing that it takes it takes doing sort of routine work and looking at things in a different way as opposed to saying let's go out and discover something that has never been discovered before inside the human body like that yeah that never occurs to anybody it's it's going through looking for something totally different and finding something that nobody's yeah. ever seen before yeah. or even going out to do something and it not turning out the way you wanted it to, but you would discover something else in the process where it's like, Oh, I didn't expect it to do that. Yeah. And you end up discovering something else by doing that. Yeah. It's like, I think that happens in astronomy all the time. Cause you're like, you point your telescope out and you're looking for something and you just happen to come across something else in that process yeah. that you're like, well, that's kind of weird. And then you look at it more and discover something else. Yeah. Uh, the the one thing that that really jumps out to me in this uh, this press release is that it was so they they believe that for every neurological disease that has an immune component, which is a lot of them, these vessels, the new vessels they discovered, will play a major role. And it's hard to imagine that they wouldn't be involved uh, in a neurological disease that has an immune component because that's it's the interplay between those two things that had never been seen before. So now they can start to actually look at the mechanism of how these, like in, in people with the, these diseases and with these uh, afflictions, we can find new ways to look at how the disease actually is caused or how, the, how whatever it is is caused and fix it from the inside out as opposed to just, like you said, treating the symptoms. I'm, 
it's super awesome. And yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't feel, uh, I, I feel kind of bad for people who have to completely rewrite the textbooks, but <laughs> at the same time, yeah. it's, it's new information and yeah. it's awesome that they're doing it. So mm. Also that's their job. So yeah, no, of course. I mean, I just mean like, it's going to be a lot of work. It's not like you can go now that they've done this. It's not like you can go and write a textbook and just make these minor changes. It's going to take a bunch more research to figure out everything that's going on and then write the textbooks. Yeah. Man, just digital edit editing control F brain. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the, uh, the publishers in Texas can rewrite the creationist aspects at the same time. Yay. That'd, that'd be helpful. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't have to rewrite it. It's just God imbued humans with these uh, immune cells in their brains. And oh, there you go. You can just incorporate it into that same concept. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah. Are we are we creationists now? <laughs> I think we might be. <laughs> my my tagline this week is the missing link. So maybe not. <laughs> okay. Um. So. I think we're ready to move on. Mike, you have a story here about, uh, I, I actually didn't see this, this come across, but uh, why don't you tell me about this gay marriage study? I guess it is. Yeah, I actually heard about, when I read this article, I recalled reading something about it, like the actual study is talking about a couple years ago, and okay. everyone was pretty excited about it. So just as some background, this guy, uh, went out and conducted a study on the effectiveness of canvassing and the influence it had on people's opinions. So I don't know, you guys have probably interacted with canvassers before who are trying to raise money for something or generate awareness or that kind of thing. And I guess what people found was that generally, if you're say, I don't know, in this case, it's about people's thoughts on, on gay marriage. So if someone's going around saying, Oh, can I gather some opinions on what you think about gay marriage? And it's like, Oh, sure chances are the people's opinions after that first interaction when you go back to them and get canvassed again your opinion's going to stay the same regardless of how that discussion went mm -hmm. so the canvasser can do all they want to try to you know encourage you to say oh well you know uh you know you know lgbt's deserve the same rights as you know heterosexuals and blah 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 when they go back they're stance on the issue hasn't changed this study went out and they did a huge data collection of like 10,000 participants and canvassed and then went back and they found that a lot of when they spoke with a canvasser who was gay themselves their opinion changed dramatically more frequently than if the person who was canvassing wasn't gay themselves mm. and it kind of overturned a whole bunch of prior research on the on the topic as far as the effectiveness of canvassing. So people got all excited and either engage in more canvassing using the, me the methodology that the study did based on the results, or they went out and tried to duplicate the study themselves as well. Um, so that's how this came about was a guy went out and was like, oh, this is a really interesting study. It overturns everything that we have in the literature so far on kind of statistics and the study of canvassing and, you know, the effectiveness of it. And in looking at duplicating the study or replicating it, I should say, he talked to like this survey company who conducted these canvas studies and they're like, well, that's a huge study to carry out. There's no way 
that that would even be like practical to do on the kind of budget that a grad student would have because the study was like 10,000 participants and the idea was that you'd pay a hundred bucks to each of them. So it's like a million dollar study mm-hmm. that was carried out by a grad student. It's like, there's no way this guy had that kind of funds to, to carry out the study. So that's when the question started popping up. It's like, well, how did this guy do it? And long story short, it came out that this guy took existing data from another study, right? added some t- statistical noise to it, biased it in a way that looked like the results supported what he was trying to prove was that, you know, having a gay canvasser change people's opinions and release it as his own study. Mm-hmm. So he literally fabricated an entire study to support the conclusion he was trying to do. And I guess he had brought on this very well-respected senior researcher to kind of uh, co-author the paper. So people took this paper as like a legitimate breakthrough. And when it came out that this whole study was fabricated, this guy's name that was attached to it was like, yeah, you know, I failed as a mentor, as a mentor. I failed as a, a supervisor. I should have caught this, blah, 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 blah. But I guess going back to kind of what we talked about before with the, um, the chocolate helps you lose weight study that was fabricated to prove a point. This is the kind of study that actually happens that there's a more nefarious intent behind it than trying to prove a point. Right. Um, so it's, it's pretty timely that it kind of came out kind of within the same little bit of time here that, uh, that, you know, people are like, well, well, we were supposed to trust scientists. Generally, they're not trying to do that. Well, there are scientists that do. And there were people that were taking the study and using it for their own work and trying to prove up the concept and that kind of thing when the entire study itself is fabricated. Right. So, um, I don't know. I guess it's more just an interesting kind of story that this stuff does happen, but it's almost, it's always nice to see them get caught though. Oh yeah, exactly. And because I mean, the amount of awful data there is out there is just, well, I don't know. We don't even know the scale it's of it. It's awful. Yeah. yeah. They estimate, like, what is it, 20% are just bunk or something like that? Oh, really? Yeah, and a bunch get disproven, like, 30 years later. I, I want to say it's around 20. Like, I, I don't know if Rob's read anything on that lately. I've heard a lot of people saying that not so much that a lot of it is made up or fraudulent, but that especially in health research, you end up with a bunch of studies getting published. And then 30 years later, you realize, oh, there was this was flawed methodology or it wasn't a big enough sample and or, or was paid for by some company that is obviously biased. And so 30 years later, 20 or 30 years down the road, it's just like, nope, all right, that was made up yeah. and shouldn't be yeah. trusted. Yeah. Um, and I mean, do you guys remember hearing about the nano chopsticks? No. Oh, they, this was actually on, uh, I think it was 60 symbols, but there was a paper that said they found nano gold rods or something like that, but they were at like 120 degrees to each other or so. Okay. And they had a picture of like all these little, you know, nano rods that were kind of, you know, pointed towards each other, but just slightly off. And, um, 
what what happened is if you zoomed in on that picture you could see that they'd cut like a square piece of the rod and then rotated it and moved them together. <laughs> and you could actually see the corner of the one picture over the other one. Right. Oh man. Like so little like, paint cut and rotate. Yeah. Not just, <laughs> not just sloppy science, but like sloppy covering it up too. Right. Sloppy like, Photoshop. And it's just, it's stuff like that. You, you see that and you wonder how bad is the problem? So this stuff is great. Like yeah. I'm really excited about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually like, I don't know if I'd highly recommend that people read this article. It's quite long. It's more of a, yeah, a really long read long. type thing, but it's, it's a very interesting story and it kind of goes through his own dilemma of whether to actually come forward with this evidence or not. And his whole thing was like, he, he wanted to do it properly. Like he didn't want to see this, you know, like fraudulent data and just go out and say, Oh, look guys, this is all fake. He wanted to do his own due diligence, convince himself that it was fake. Like he wanted a super solid back of evidence to show that it was fraudulent data. And it wasn't until they found the literal set of data that was used to generate this data that they're like, okay, now we actually have enough that like we can come forward and say, look, like we literally replicated the data he came up with just manipulating this data. And you know, he was talking to seniors in the, the, the business, you know, with university people that have gen- like written papers and experts on the matter. And they're like, well, you know, don't be careful. Don't come forward with it. Like, you're going to get blacklisted from the scientific community. No one's going to want to work with you. Have you review their papers because you're trying to expose people? Like, it was very almost like an underbelly of science research type vibe that he was right. getting. That it was one of those like, you know turn a blind eye towards kind of thing because yeah like this stuff happens but no one really wants to come forward with it so yeah nick like you said it's good to see people actually doing this because like this guy who came forward with it he's like people are like putting money into following up on this research and it's fraudulent and that's not fair like this needs to be exposed and it's it it's uh, i remember talking to jamie noel who is an excellent researcher he's he knows so much about electrochemistry and corrosion that he can just destroy months worth of work by asking a simple question in a <laughs> yeah. presentation. They'll like, you know, present like, oh yeah, I've been working on this for ages. And he's like, what about this thing? Did you consider that? And they're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but my PowerPoint slides, they... <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. yeah. He will reference the individual points on the individual slides by the end of it. It's yeah. Um but he was telling me once about how the literature used to be such that like if you put out a bad paper, there would be several papers coming in which they specifically told you how awful your paper was. Yeah. Like in this shoddy work by, you know, Maddox yeah. at, at all or and then, you know, you would come out with that. Rob would come out with, as Mike et al. have pointed out very accurately, Maddox et al. was just a terrible piece of work. Just awful. <laughs> so it's like paper shaming. Right? Yeah. I mean, that was my honors thesis. Like, my supervisor saw one paper and he was like, this is bunk. And I could get an undergrad to do a better job. Mm. And just... Yeah, that's how that went. 
Right. Did you guys freeze or did you guys say anything? No. Nope. Yeah, I oh, think you covered sorry. it. Yeah, you froze and I thought oh. you might have said something. But at the same time, and I'm absolutely not going to name names here, <laughs> but I was talking to a peer and they were performing an experiment that had been performed before in the same lab by a different person. Okay. And they presented what they'd found and the supervisor said, yeah, this is in disagreement with person X's work. So like clearly you've done it wrong. And the peers like, Someone did it wrong. And I don't think it was me. Right. <laughs> like not saying this to yeah. the supervisor because, you know, power dynamics are a thing. Yeah. But, you know, that he hit a stone. This person hit a stone wall <laughs> <laughs> because like, their results disagreed. But. Like, I don't know. It's it's quite the quandary because you should just be able to say, actually, these are my results, and I'm pretty sure they're better than person X's. But, I mean, those previous results were published. And so if this person I was talking to came forward with it to the general public, this person is shaming the supervisor. He's mm -hmm. shaming the person who did the work and everyone who reviewed the work. Like yeah. it's. Yeah. I'm sure that happens a lot. Yeah. And it's, it stinks. Yeah. Like there's so much, there's just the environment of publisher perish. Yeah. yeah. I was at a, uh, at an industry conference for, for oil and gas and we were presenting papers. And one of the talks I was sitting in, it was the same kind of thing. He presented to the paper and then, you know, five hands went up and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so then one after another, like, according to all the previous research, this goes completely against what those are saying. And, you know, these papers they're presenting, they weren't peer reviewed yet. Right. So it was basically preliminary kind of stage. So, and then the guy up front was like, oh, well, we did this and this. Oh, and then next person, this, I agree with this guy. All the preliminary, all the previous stuff, it goes completely against what you're talking about. And then it was kind of 10 minutes of people arguing back and forth as far as, well, this goes against everything. So yours yeah. is wrong. But And right. man, that's where science is worst, where they're like, that doesn't agree with what I think already. So it must be wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, but that's what science yeah. is for. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we could all just look at things objectively? Not just in science, but in our day-to-day -day lives, too. <laughs> in everything, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, are we ready to move on? I I just want to talk a little bit about WWDC. Or not WWDC. Yeah, WWDC. Yeah. I, I'm getting the conferences completely mixed up in my head now. Um, Nick, I know I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Apple. <laughs> for your sake more than anything, but... Um, and I appreciate that, Rob. Yeah. Mike, are there any things that you are really looking forward to like i know your work phone is is yeah. uh an iphone and you have yeah. a mac so you're you have a vested interest in improvements to the platforms uh, yeah. is there anything you're looking forward to seeing 
I think seeing more news on HomeKit would be mm-hmm. good. Um, kind of what the future of a smart home might look like in an Apple-y world. Um, maybe next-gen Apple Watch hints, but I think it's they've just they're not even in stores yet, or they're coming out in stores. So I don't think you'll start seeing improvements well, hinted at because what they've been saying. The the latest word is that it, they, we won't be getting a new version, but that you will developers will get a preview for building native applications. So you won't have to okay. They won't have to be slaves to the phone, right? To be able to do things independently, right? Which is pretty sweet. Yeah. So what the the word is you get a preview of that, and then it'll okay. launch in the fall. So right. hopefully that that gives you some of what you're looking for. The Apple Watch. So you're gonna have a six month product cycle on this thing. No, 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 not not that there'll be a new watch in the fall, but that oh, you will get the abil- developers will have the ability to make native applications. Oh, on the same watch. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, that's good. I was gonna say that that would suck to have already purchased a watch and then find out that there's a better one coming out already. Yeah, yeah. No, they only did that once with the iPod, or not with the iPod, with the iPad, where they had the iPad three, which I bought. And then the iPad 4 came out six months later, and I also got that because <laughs> I was able to sell the, the 3 to my mom. So right. it worked out. But Yeah. Are we going to be seeing iOS 9? Yes. Preview or? Beta. Like, beta. Okay, cool. I hope that around this time tomorrow, I will be able to start downloading the, the, the beta. beta. Depends when uh, the upload sites get their <laughs> get their act well, together. Actually, now that you mention it, you did have a pre hands on experience with iOS nine. Did I? I don't know. You posted a blog post about it. Oh, about yeah. your <laughs> your first impressions. My my yeah pre first impressions. Yeah, which um, is I I was entertained by it. It was fanciful. Was, more than I would have liked to have seen those changes you you saw. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I, I'm excited to see what they have to announce more than anything, because you hear all these rumors and all this kind of crazy stuff. There's supposed to be a new music service launching that could apparently Apple could make something for Android. Seems crazy. For like the music management side. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Cause Rhea runs off the iTunes library still. Like she right. just syncs with her iPod. So yeah, yeah. that'd be good to. I mean, I have my whole library. I have my library in Google Play Music, but I don't ever use that to listen unless I'm unless I'm on a computer. This hasn't happened forever, but unless I'm on a computer that doesn't have iTunes or can't, I can't install iTunes. Then I'll just use the web interface. Yeah, but uh, I think more than anything, what I'm looking for at WWDC is hearing about hearing new ways for developers to be able to actually use applications like to make more powerful applications. They, they took a big step last year with keyboards and with extensions. And I'm hoping I've heard this talked about a couple of times as opposed to just saying like an Android, any application can be your default web browser having or having developers be able to submit a web browser and say, listen, we've installed all these official hooks that you've set up the same way that Safari is. Uh, 
can we become a default web browser? Like they have to apply to Apple and Apple would have to approve them to be a, a short list of official web browsers. So you'd have to have yeah. a certain security standard. You'd have to have a certain accessibility standard, all of these things. And they could do the same thing with calendar. They could do the same thing with mail. And all you would need is to use things that already exist in the operating system, just open them up to developers. I don't know that they would do that, but I think that it would be, it would cause a lot of people who are on Android right now, even more people who are on Android to consider switching because a lot of people are just like, well, I don't really like how Safari works. I don't really want to use the default mail app, but it works so well with everything else that I would feel compelled to. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in my experience, the way Google's apps all work together and the way a bunch of, uh, there was news probably about six or eight months ago now where Chrome came out with, or well, Google came out with hooks for Chrome on iOS that enabled you to put a couple lines of code. And ra- so rather than forwarding to Safari, you would forward straight to Chrome and it would give you the ability to, so for instance, if I open up Twitterific, which is a Twitter client on uh, iOS, I can click on any link and it will automatically, instead of going to Safari, it will automatically open in Chrome because I've set that up as my default in Twitterific. And then in the Chrome browser, the back button to go back one page has the word Twitterific next to it. So it'll take me right back to the place where I was in that app. And there are a couple of apps like that and all the Google apps are like that by default. Like Feedly is one of the ones that uh, does that. I don't know. I'm assuming it's the same way on Android. Yeah, like Google Plus, when you click a link in Google Plus, and and I guess the main difference is that in and with Android, you have like an actual back button, which is yeah. delicious. And so when you open a link in Google Plus, and you read through, and then you click another link in Chrome, and then click another link in Chrome, if you keep pressing your back button, it goes back, 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 back. Then when you get back to that first link you clicked on, and you press back again, it takes you back to Google Plus where yeah. you were which is essentially what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that when we were talking about human interface uh, in follow-up, one of the things that's nice about Apple's platform is that they have very standard ways of going back. So if, if the app has been updated to take advantage of back functionality, often you can depend on just swiping in from the right of the screen and going back. Uh, so Chrome is one of the, the exceptions in that it's a modern, very modern app, but it doesn't do that. Because swiping back, swiping the in from the left of the screen gives you the, the previous tab. Like there's already something there that they've decided is more important. And maybe maybe it is. But uh, so that that always gets me sometimes where I'm like, I'm, I want to go back and I end up just switching tabs. Yeah. But those are the you kind can... of things I, that the reasons they do these updates to the to the UI is that so so everything's consistent. Yeah. The multitask screen still works, though, right? Yes. Like you can just go and then just scroll back to where you were, like yep. the other app. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, we don't have to talk about WWDC anymore. Nick, you look you look bored already. Oh, I was actually reading about other things. <laughs> <laughs> so you were literally fully bored. Uh, we can move on, but we will probably be have some stuff to discuss next week about what they did announce and hopefully there will be some things that nick will be excited to talk about hopefully uh, i maybe if he downloads that read it later app yep yeah. 
Nick, now how about what if Apple open sourced Mac OS? Uh, they did that. It was called, <laughs> oh man, what was it called? I want to say it was like platypus or something like that. Or they had a platypus as their right. motto or mascot. Yeah. But yeah, they did that. Um, I actually remember reading the articles about it and like the open source community was super excited about it. Cause they're like, oh yeah, Apple's going, oh, it's called Darwin project Darwin. Okay. I think why that involves a platypus, I have no idea, but I'm pretty sure it was called Project. Why Darwin. is Linux a penguin? Nobody knows. <laughs> okay, wait. Topic on topic. Um, but yeah, like everyone was super excited about it because, I mean, obviously, yeah. And so they uh, like they went and tried it out, and then. Unfortunately, it turns out it wasn't the full OS they gave you access right. to. It was just like this incredibly stripped down version that didn't even, if I'm recalling correctly, it didn't even have a graphical user interface. Okay. So they're like, yeah, like, because the, what they wanted to do ostensibly was model off of, you know, Red Hat and Fedora, where Fedora is your free thing and you have just an army of open source people working on it and then you take the best most stable parts of it and integrate it into red hat enterprise linux right so you have a super stable you know version of it that you can supply to companies but then this other like you know weird cool one that's almost a beta version right and the beta version of fedora is an alpha version mm -hmm. details but it just didn't happen that way for either they were trying really hard to protect their code or they just weren't very sincere about it or something. Right. Know. But if they did open source the entire operating system, would you be excited? I would be far more supportive of Apple. Okay. <laughs> Mike, you have some real-time follow-up? I do. So, Rob, you claimed that no one knows why the penguin I didn't say is... no one knows. I said I didn't know. You said no one knows. But okay. Maybe that was being... Facetious? Facetious, yeah. yeah. So, turning to the all-powerful wiki, uh, and it does have citations, so I take, <laughs> I'll trust what it's saying. It says, Linus Torvalds, the creator of Linux, had a fixation for flightless fat waterfowl. And he claims to have contracted penguinitis after being gently nibbled by a penguin. Penguinitis makes you stay awake at night just thinking about penguins and feeling great love towards them. Um, Torvald is looking for something fun and sympathetic to associate with Linux and a slightly fat penguin sitting down after having had a great meal perfectly fit the bill. So there you go. That sounds completely not tongue-in-cheek. That sounds totally factual. There are, there are three citations yeah. that I, I haven't actually I don't doubt that that's on, a quote, but, but I just, I feel like it's It not. had quotation was, marks. So. Yeah. Because yeah. of the nature of, one, the tech world, <laughs> and two, the tech world that, you know, is based on volunteers. Yeah. That seems totally plausible. That seems, that yeah. passes the sniff test. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, so, there we go. Yeah. We've been, it's been an hour 
we were through <laughs> one third of the things we wanted to talk about. Uh, Mike, you have something here that you ranked as being extremely vitally important to talk about. What, what's going on with Amazon? So for those of us who enjoy online shopping and search around for the best prices and the most convenient shipping methods, Amazon is now, this is a caveat, this is US only, but right now Amazon is offering free shipping with no, no limits or no minimums, I guess, for small items such as headphones, iPhone cases, uh, cosmetics, small little things that yeah are easy to ship i guess uh they're offering free shipping with no minimum order so and i guess it's trying to compete with ebay where yeah. ebay can offer free shipping if the seller so chooses so that's uh yeah good news for those in the states that use amazon a lot and i i know if if i i often go on amazon to look for like yeah little phone screens or accessories or whatever because you can either pay 30 bucks for a phone case in store two bucks to get a ship from china so right that's cool yeah psa how does amazon make money jeez (laughs) volume yeah i mean they technically they don't make money they are still running a losing business but it's slowly clawing its way towards possibly getting uh profitable is it still in the red every time. Yep. Oh, and somehow their stock price still keeps going up. It's it's quite fa- fascinating, actually. But yeah, so f- the greatest scam ever is Amazon a bubble. Well, people have been saying that for for years. It's been what more than ten years that Amazon's been a company now, and Jeff Bezos keeps funding the he's funding it himself, basically, um, putting in the money they need to keep losing. Yeah. less and less money to the to the point where they could eventually yeah, become well. profitable. Yeah. Well, they keep putting R&D into little gadgets that you can talk into and they do stuff. So Yeah, well like yeah, like the Echo. One the little kitchen one where it's like milk. Yeah, the Echo. Adds milk oh, to your that that one. Yeah. No, the uh, one that Carolyn really liked. Yeah, that was that was a good one. I forget <laughs> so what, what was just... that even called. Sorry? What was the segment called? That was the gadgets one. Yeah. Yeah, that was the like thing that number three, I think. Three, really it was twenty two. Was it twenty two? Yeah. Wow, we still so. sucked back then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we still suck. I don't know. <laughs> I don't see how that's possible. Oh. Um. Okay. So, so Amazon. Wait. So so Amazon is just a billionaire's pet project. Yes, in the With sense shareholders. that they launched terrible phones. Like the Fire Phone. Oh yeah, I forgot about the phone. Um, they they have all kinds of like the Amazon Prime is getting better and better and better. Uh, there are all kinds of things that keep improving about Amazon, but overall, I I, I believe last time I checked, and every everything I read about them, they still lose money. So yeah, but it's it's less and less money, and and investors keep giving them yeah. the benefit of the doubt that they will eventually gain money. Facebook was the same way, or maybe is still the same way. They well, they IPO'd and are doing okay. Yeah, pre-IPO, they're losing money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, Googling Amazon profits gives you a bunch of things like why Amazon has no profits and why it works. Um, analysts wrong about Amazon profit. Amazon never makes money, but no one cares. <laughs> Will Amazon ever be profitable? But uh, they do. They do a lot of stuff. So it's yeah. not like if they can operate at a tiny loss and do all these amazing things for the customers, then I guess it's okay. And then you have Google and Apple who have nothing but money. Yeah. Yeah. And Tesla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, Tesla just got a bunch of contracts to do, or was it SpaceX, to do uh, space shuttle, or not shuttle launches, but um, shuttling equipment to the International Space Station. Haven't they already been doing that? They got a new contract like for a bunch oh. more missions. Okay. Yeah. Can we just have an after show segment? If you were an eccentric billionaire, what would you fund? I don't see why not. Like, there are a lot of eccentric billionaires that just like, you know, they like Bill Gates. He just gives a lot to charity. That's just what he does. Like, yeah. you know, giving back to society. But I'm like, I don't know. I feel as though you could give back to society with science and tech research because that just makes the world a better place. Usually. Yeah. Is that going to feed the children, Nick? There's a bunch of people like, uh, oh, what's his name? Maybe. There's a guy who uses his billions to just fund Republican candidates in the American election system. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, Co- that's Coke. The Coke, the Coke brothers, of brothers, course. Yeah. But yeah, there's yeah. another guy, someone Edelman. I forget his oh. name. Well, then didn't Harvard just get a huge donation, like $300 million or something from someone? That Wait, sounds familiar. Harvard? Like, like the, the school. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. They, they the guy, don't he, need he's money. getting he's getting a wing named after him. <laughs> Built and then named after him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we should have that segment though, because that would be yeah. cool. Yeah. So guys, I don't remember Rob. if when we first started this show, if the Large Hadron Collider had shut off yet, or it maybe it had just shut off by the time we started. But it's back. I thought we had a story on yeah. that. I remember talking about how they were supposed to shut it down, like or start it up. It's, it was one or the other. It's back now. It's turned back on. This, yeah. Oh no, it was just being turned back on when we started the show. I think, and everyone was worried about black holes eating the Earth. That that timeline no, is not correct. That was uh, no. Twenty seven months is the last time that it was on. Twenty seven months ago, and uh, they so. I guess 2013 is when it ended last time and they are now up to double the capacity, which is a total capacity of 13 trillion electron volts. And wow. Yeah. Apparently there are stable beams at that. Maybe not at that energy, but they have stable beams again after having upgraded it to double its possible energy capacity. And that was at that point they discovered they discovered the Higgs boson or they found a particle that could fit with the Higgs boson. I feel like they haven't actually, they haven't actually done anything with that research yet. Like it's still, they're still turning. Yeah. But people are pretty confident. It's yeah. What do you do with it? Like they got the six Sigma certainty that there was something at, Oh yeah. What is it? Whatever energy level. Yeah. But they, they haven't rewritten physics based on the fact that it is confirmed. Oh my. Okay. The LHC announced they had observed a new particle in the mass region around 126 giga electron volts. Yeah. 
Yeah, we and did a story on to, that. They're moving to Terra electron volts. Yep. Woo! At a maximum. So at this point, they can pretty much make Find like anything. they can start making full on atoms. I think at that energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I I I've always loved the Large Hadron Collider. Just looking at the actual hardware of it is so crazy. Like it's these entire warehouse sized machines that all work as one to thread literally subatomic particles through a 17 kilometer circle, like a 17 kilometer loop. 27, 17 mile. Is it 27? I don't know. I just remember from the large Hadron wrap. Like the first line is 27 kilometers of tunnel underground. Okay. It might be 17 miles then. That sounds likely. Yeah. Uh, real time follow up. Yep. The energy of a yep. proton is 938 mega electron volts. So we're nowhere near it. All right. Good, good to know. We're, <laughs> what? We're nowhere near that yeah. yet. <laughs> Aren't they? They said trillion. Yeah. Didn't you say Terra electron volts? Wait. The Higgs boson itself is one or er, 126 giga electron volts. So, wait. What? What was it? Wait, what was how the proton? Do prefixes work? What was the proton? <laughs> what are the SI prefixes? <laughs> what? What? What was the energy level of the proton? Okay. Pr- the proton. secondary secondary real time follow up. 17, 17 miles is in fact twenty seven kilometers. Perfect. <laughs> Back to the Why issue at hand. Google? What was the number you read? <laughs> the the mass region around 126 giga electron volts is the proton. Is no is the Higgs boson. Yeah. The proton is 938 mega electron volts. Oh, okay. So yeah. we're, fa- we're, we're we're well within. within yeah. yeah, I was going to say we are okay. well past making atoms. Had a brain fart. It's, uh, it's not the first time, won't be the last. <laughs> but I'm I'm more excited. This is more like, hey guys, start like turn back on your filters that are looking for LHC stuff because they're going to be churning out more and more research again. Assuming they don't have that, uh, I remember last time, almost immediately after it turned on, they had a some one of the magnets quenched or had some problem that took like another year to fix. So hopefully that they can just. Turn it back on and everything will be fine. Because, yeah. Someone it, hasn't done very much science. <laughs> you expect to just flip the switch and have it work? <laughs> Do you know how these things go? Well, I mean, make sure all the plugs are plugged in completely and correctly so you don't get any any data leaks or have any nanosecond. Any faster than light travel. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't have faster than light travel, things are probably working okay. <laughs> Or we could hope that they discover faster than light travel. That's true. Uh, so yeah, LHC is doing research. Uh, Mike, you have a, a, is this in the title or did you write Android M features? Oh, that spotlight? was in the title. Because that would like be a was... cool segment. Let's let's do our Android M features spotlight for the week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess we're stealing this segment from Android Police, but uh, yeah. So I think a while ago we talked about Chrome's memory hogging. And yep. how phones these days have to do similar uh, efforts to limit the amount of memory use by apps that aren't being used. 
So I guess Android M, the next uh, iteration of the Android OS, will have a feature where if you download an app that has processes that just stay running, if you don't actually use that app with whatever frequency, um, it will kind of downgrade it to a standby mode where it won't use up the memory for those processes. And then it will be given opportunities to sync uh, intermittently, but it won't be an ongoing process that uses memory. Uh, So say like you download RunKeeper and you don't go on a run for a month, then if there's any processes, like any sort of syncing or uh, monitoring processes, say for location or that kind of thing, it won't be running those because it's going to know that that you're not actually using it frequently enough to need it. Um, but and within settings, you can designate exceptions to that so that it will still sync even if you don't use it. Um, but it's just another way for you know to extend battery life, for the phones to run a bit smoother, and just have a better overall experience because, yeah, you're demanding a lot more from your phones. People are downloading more apps. And I guess you could use all the help you can get yeah. with that. So that's that's good to see um, with that. And I guess going back to what, Robbie, you're talking about with WWDC, about the, uh, the default apps. Yeah. I think you had written an article on an Android M feature that will standardize the app default opening process. Yes. Maybe you wanted to touch on that. Yeah, so the, with Android M, as opposed to as opposed to current functionality in Android, where you, if you open say a Twitter link, it'll say these are all the apps you have that can open Twitter links, and then you pick one. You will be able to set that you'll be able to explicitly say I am the default for this uh, when you when you build your app, and then people will be able have the ability to set um, interconnectivity between apps. So say you always want. The Twitter app to open Twitter links. You would set that up. Twitter would set that up, and you basically would click on a Twitter link, and you'd have the ability to set a default one. Say, I want this to open in the Twitter app. I want this to open in the official app, and then it would always just instead of asking you every time you try to switch apps, it would just be like, okay, we're gonna do this. That's cool. Official app. Yeah. Doesn't wait. Sorry, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but doesn't Android do that already? It can. But this is like a standard way of doing it across everything, not just yeah. not just things like web browsers or launchers or dialers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it would work for all kinds of apps. Like you could, it, like Spotify could set it up so that you click a Spotify link and it would go straight to the app, not only straight into the app, but into the song that you had clicked on in the web. Okay. Which that part is the new part. And the part where you can set it up. So basically, once you once you use it for a while and get all these defaults set up, you're never going to see that app switcher screen anymore unless you go into settings and want to change some some default. Because it'll just be, it will just be done for you already. Yeah, like there's times where I'll I'll want it to set as default, so I'll go always, but yeah. then it will still continue asking me, and it's like, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, hopefully that gets better and a bit more fluid. So that was the end of our Android M feature spotlight. <laughs> Good enough. Uh, the next story I have here is 
really it's more of just like this is a cool science thing that happened i don't really have any comments to add about it but uh researchers are doing a ton of stuff with microprocessors and trying to put not only like people are putting systems on on chips for smartphones and computers and that kind of thing for the internet of things but laboratories scientific research labs are working on putting an entire laboratory onto a chip so basically what you would do is take a drop of blood and they would be able to run all kinds of like a, a whole slew of tests on one chip, like one microchip. And like they're pretty cheap to produce and give reliable results. And uh, the news came out this week that they've been able to develop one of these systems on a chip or lab on a chip. Uh, they can basically give you, tell you every virus a person has contracted in their life just based on the antibodies you can find in a drop of their blood. Hmm. So not just, for instance, viruses or, or bacterial infections that they have at the time, but they'll be able to investigate the antibodies that all our blood has for things like measles and chicken pox. If you've had them as a kid, you have the antibodies still, and that's why you don't get it again. They can do a test to show you everything that, they've, that you've ever been exposed to. And apparently it only costs 25 bucks to, to get like to develop the kit hmm. yeah so i'm like we've said earlier in the episode i'm i'm really excited by all the new stuff that's coming out in medicine and in, in physiology apparently the test works for like more than a thousand different strains of viruses uh and they say basically that's all viruses that are known to infect people hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things, so they've tried it out so far in the U S in Africa and Thailand and Peru. And so far it's been, there've been 500 people that have taken the, the specific blood test. And most people have been exposed to 10, 10 different species of virus, things like cold and flu viruses. Um, but some people had had exposure to as many as 25 different species of virus, which is, that seems high, but it's pretty cool. Hmm. So do they consider different mutations of the cold as different viruses, I guess, depending, I guess, depends what antibodies are required to fight it. Right. But. So, I mean, if, if you get two different colds, odds are you like, it's just a mutated version. It's not, it's not, a if they're viral. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the countries you mentioned, I guess, like I was thinking that that helps when you don't have, you know, either people who are aware of their medical history or just don't have good medical records. Yeah. So for a place where, you know, you're going out and trying to diagnose illness, you know, in a third world country where they may not have those types of records or just people who are aware of, you know, a virus or maybe have different names for it or just, you know, even from a religious aspect, they just think it's like the devil afflicting them with whatever, like, cause that's a very common thing that yeah. people see illness as, you know, religious smiting, I guess. Yeah. That if a doctor is going in trying to figure out what someone has, this would be very useful. You just like, oh man, he smote me good this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, basically, what they the, all they've done is do this and try it out with certain people. The nice thing about this is that it to do a test, it doesn't require months of clinical testing. Like you just put the person's blood on the thing and see what it detects. Um. 
so they don't even have, they don't have any any plans themselves to put it into production and so the test can take two days anywhere from two days to two months to actually complete but they're basically trying to say we'd love to be able to sell this to a company who would uh, be able to actually use it because then it could take a couple days at most to do if you actually had a company that was in charge of um, making it better uh, doing things like making it more uh, more comprehensive or more sensitive and uh, basically they're just saying this is the first step and it, it really seems like at the end of the article they say it should go to a company like a company should buy this from us <laughs> so that you they can actually do things with it because the, the medical yeah. team off, often doesn't have enough money to actually they they ne- don't necessarily want to establish a company and start selling yeah. it they may just want to do the research and, and yeah. now move on to other things they may as well just said intent Apple help yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that Apple would want to buy it unless they Ooh, if you put that into a smartphone, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. or just like a like a USB. Yeah, adapter. I don't know how reusable the tests are, but uh, if yeah. you could just plug it plug it into your phone or or connect it to your phone via Bluetooth or something yeah. to transmit the results, that'd be cool. Uh, okay. The next story here is I, I I saw it, and this made me it made me want to talk to Nick about it. To be honest. Because uh, yeah, I believe this is our. Uh, I haven't read through the article, but this may in fact be our weekly. This isn't news segment. <laughs> right, exactly. We I've, have, I've heard of electronic shifters before too, but well, the, these are new electronic shifters, and so oh. the the um, this is bike news. I mean, news being quotes for the time being until we decide whether it actually is news or not. Um, so Nick, have you ever tried a bike that has electronic shifters? That's, that's what this is a new no, iteration. Of. I, I've never tried one because those bicycles tend to be in the, uh, five figure price range. Right. And, oh, maybe one day, but that day is not today. Well, that's why I didn't ask if you had one. I asked if you had ever tried it. <laughs> Because I figured yeah. they would be very expensive. I, I'm not even sure I would want to ride on one of those. Just <laughs> like, case. If I just like hopped on and it broke or something, I would just, I don't know. Right. Terrifying. Yeah. So but, but basically the kind of thing that you can compare this to is an automatic transmission on a car. It just gets rid of the, oh, okay. the gear shift. Well, it's not exactly what? the same. I'm not saying it's exactly the no, same. No, it's Wait. in no way the same. Does it not automatically shift? It, no. It, it oh, then it's not the same thing at all. Electronically shifts. So you don't have to click the thing. You basically just say, I want to be in a different gear now. And then it flicks over. The, so, it's like a Tiptronic uh, um, semi-automatic. It's like the paddle shifters in a car. It's not like an automatic transmission. Yeah, I was all excited. I was like, well, that's cool. It automatically switches for you. But not. No, apparently they tried that at one point. Okay. And it was awful. Oh, really? Because, like, yeah, because uh, yeah, I guess, you know, the part of riding a bike that is not like operating a motor vehicle is that motor vehicles never need to rest. Right. So, like, you would, I don't know, say you had just summited a big hill and you weren't ready to go into whatever gear yet you just like okay 
I just got to wait until my legs stop hurting right. to shift yeah. down. But the an automatic transmission on a bike doesn't recognize that. It's like, oh, I notice you're not going very fast anymore. Here you go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Let me just shift that for you. The way the vehicle works is that once you hit a certain RPM, it switches. So you'd think with a bike, as long as you weren't exceeding an RPM, it shouldn't switch. But I guess gearing down... That, yeah, they've been yeah. Really tough. I was going to say it. It also depends on how exactly they executed it. Right. But th- so that's why I think this is an ideal middle ground because you don't have to. You're not waiting, relying on electronics to me- to initiate the transition in gears. But you don't have to. You don't have to be the one manually. There's no. You wouldn't need a literal wire that moves in order to change gears. You would. You'd press a button on a little. You could even have an electronic display like the one that's that's pictured here that tells you what gear you're in, and you can literally just push a little button and it'll electronically shift for you. Well, the ones I've seen, and these are granted when I was reading a lot about it, like almost four years ago now. Yeah. That's why I said this isn't news. Yeah. Um, it was like you know how uh how shifting works on a bike with drop handlebars? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you you move the brake levers or you tap while well, you move the brake levers for one thing and or uh, click a little thing on the inside of the anyway. Right. Um, it was like that, except you just tapped it and it recognized the tap as the signal input. And hmm. even four years ago, they were, they were uh, designing bikes so that, you could have the batteries and the shifters slip into the frame seamlessly. Right. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily trying to say this was news. This was just the first, the first time I'd seen it pop up in a tech news site. And the the question was, can electronic shifters make bicycles faster? And it seemed like you could, because it means like with uh with things like on my bike i have the the twist sort of like a motorcycle shifter yeah i don't know if there's an official name for that i'm sure there is but, uh, so I, I can kind of i call it a twisty shifter i can kind of crank through all the gears isn't it but, just called like rotary shifter kind of thing maybe yeah maybe i don't know yeah. i also uh, call mine a clicky shifter so that's the level of technical <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah i mean it's it's not necessarily news, but I just, I wanted to, when I saw this pop up, I wanted to get your take on it. Cause I know, I don't think we talked about electronic shifting in the bicycles episode. Maybe we did, but I thought we talked more about. Uh, yeah. I don't think we did. It was like frames that we talked about. It. And mm-hmm. the brakes and yeah. gear systems. Like you could have the whole, uh, the whole self-contained gear thing that we talked about way back then. Like it was all one piece that just kind of sat there and did all the work internally for you. And it was, it just seemed like it'd be crazy expensive if anything went wrong, sort of like a car engine. If anything goes wrong, you just have to take the whole thing and be like, well, this black box broke and now my bike doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this one, the there are definite advantages to electronic shifting. Like you, and this would never benefit me, I don't think, because I'm not a competitive racer, but you save the X number of grams that your cables take up. Yeah, right. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this much, but like, you know, kind of 
whiffing on a full shift. You don't yeah. like rotate fully or click fully or push the lever as far as it needs to go. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, you feel like you're about to shift into that gear and then there's a clunk and you kind of jerk forward a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen then because it's exactly tuned to be exactly here when you need it. Okay. So, I mean, I think that's great, especially if you're racing because you, you really don't want to miss a shift if you're in a bicycle race. I imagine anyway. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's my two cents on the matter. Fair enough. Uh, okay. Next up, Mike. Should we talk about voicemail? We can save that for the after show, maybe. Do you, should we just go? Nick, do you want to maybe then talk about uh, this this battery story and then we'll shift to after show mode? Uh, All right, Nick, what's the battery story? Is it worth saving for another week? Or... No, no, no. Because I would like to it. talk about this in the after, actual show. Which? Which? Yeah, the, the one you the talked trees. about before? Yeah. Oh, we are saying. Yeah, yeah trees right now. now. Okay, we'll trees right show. now. Yeah. More specifically, nanocellulose, for which I believe there's a research center in Quebec or Montreal somewhere. Um, I don't know if you've seen the picture in this article, but the title is Trees are a Source for High-Capacity Soft Batteries. And so they've basically taken nanocellulose, which is just, you know, this little structure within wood pulp. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not entirely sure how they're made because I just can't really figure it out from looking at it. But you've gotten almost a spongy looking thing from the trees and then they've coated it with electrochemically active stuff. So like, it's squishy and you can bend it and move it without really affecting, you know, the, how the battery can actually operate. Mm -hmm. And it's subject to all the limitations that I usually talk about, like, Oh, well, you know, how many cycles, what's the life cycle? Like, uh, what's the voltage it can take? Yada, yada, yada. But it seems interesting because you could, I don't know, you could put batteries and things where, Normally that might not work just because of shock or something. Right. Yeah. Did you guys read this article at all? I, I looked over it. Yeah. It seems like the thing that they talk about quite a bit is how battery technology wants to be a 3d structure because it gives you so much more surface area than having to make something that's really thin. And it seems yeah. like this, this is the perfect structure for that. Because yeah, it's automatically. And sorry, that already. that is another example of it. Like you, you don't have to have like two plates lined up perfectly, so you don't have to have a rectangular prism battery or a cylinder battery or you know a regularly shaped battery because right. it can just be crammed into whatever. Yeah. I wonder if you could. Oh, granted, this would you know really depend on the capacity of it, but instead of having door insulation in a car. Just cram it with that nanocellulose yeah. battery. It it does say of, at the end of the article that the aerogel batteries could be used in electric car bodies. There you go. So there you go. Touche. <laughs> I, 
I just read over this article and I don't remember reading that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm the worst. It, it reminds me of the liquid one. We talked about that a couple weeks ago and how that one could also be kind of formed into whatever shape it needed to be. And I think it's, it's good to have all these different options for energy storage for whatever application that you're needing to use it for. Like with liquid, it's obviously susceptible to heat and like heat changes possibly, or just leaks leaks or just weight. This one seems to be fairly light and pliable and not sensitive to heat possibly. So yeah, depending on what you're, what you're looking to, to use, like what, what application then you can kind of pick what works for you. It obviously doesn't talk about efficiency or, or wattage or voltage, I should say, but yeah. we'll have to see. No, it sounds like this is really preliminary work. Yeah. Like, oh my God, guys, look what happened. Right. But yeah, no, I think battery technology is one place that we definitely need to see improvements in because well, we've been using the nickel cadmiums for forever. Lithium ion. Lithium ion now, but yeah. the double A's well, and triple A's are It depends on the application, which of yeah. those you'd use. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Is there more you want to say on batteries, Nick? Batteries are neat. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Did you guys hear about the uh, solar plane this week at all? No. No. But yeah, I want to say it was forced to land in either China or Japan. And it's like, why would those countries ever get upset about me wondering which one of it or one of them (laughs) it was? Um. But yeah, it had to make an unexpected stop, but this solar plane is trying to circumnavigate the world. Okay. Is there any fuel or is it all solar? Like 100%? Apparently it's all solar. Okay. Like it's just, you know, running a electric motor with it. Yeah. <laughs> but this seems like it'd be great for that because it's very low weight because nanocellulose. Yeah. And you could just cram it into the body wherever you can. Yeah. Yeah. Although I wonder how flammable nanocellulose is, because if it's anything like nitrocellulose, <laughs> well, if it's made of wood, it's kind of well. That's the yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, wood is not particularly flammable. It takes quite a bit of getting it started to to burn if it's wood. Dry is very flammable. Just ask the people in northern Alberta right now. Yeah, I mean that that's there's kindling and stuff to to keep to get that's, the fire started that's what dry wood is it's kindling no i know ah, never mind ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah okay you ready to go to after show is that something we can do now works for me okay i think we can do that that's enough for me uh all right thank you guys for listening to this week's feature chat uh, once again, I'd like to thank audible.com for helping to support the show. And you can help us out by visiting audibletrial.com slash unwind to start your own free 30 day trial and get a free audiobook. Uh, we'll be back again next week with more science and tech talk right here. You can find past episodes of this show and much more at unwindmedia.com slash future chat. See you guys next time. See you guys. Doodaloo. All right. Voicemail. And then we'll talk about Nick's. Uh, liberal agenda <laughs> with for lack of a better term <laughs> it really is a liberal agenda i know yeah <laughs> is it not a scientific agenda no it, it i'm not saying 
Yeah. Just teasing. I was going to say, this is why I asked you whether it was worth talking about or not. It's like, I was, uh, it definitely is. I just think I it's funny. I could really be accused of horrendous bias here, but I think it's worth talking about. Yeah. It's the connotation of a liberal the agenda. X agenda or the whatever agenda. Is yeah. yeah. You guys are dicks. Just jokes. <laughs> just jokes. <laughs> no, so yeah, voicemail. How long ago did you? Because you, you it was said. about a month ago. Did you actually do a blog post about it? Yeah. Maybe. Oh, you did too. Because I posted the audio. Yeah. Um, no, because I, I came across an article that the title was very. I was like, that sounds like Rob. Yeah. There's an article by Vox saying that, talking about how JP Morgan, the I think financial company, I want to say. Yeah. Uh, started phasing out voicemail. Now, to clarify, and I didn't realize this when I first read it, but I read it again, or skimmed over it again, and it mentioned that the they were only phasing a voicemail for non-customer-facing Right, for internal divisions. calls. Yeah. Yeah. So, which I isn't as exciting as I thought, because... Uh, yeah. Was, yeah, but they're essentially doing exactly what you've already done, Rob, is yeah. on their message say, email me, because... Yeah. But, because email exists now. Yeah, and it's a lot more functional. And I don't know what you guys think about voicemail, but I know for me, A, I just don't get calls from anyone. Like, except for Maria, essentially. And services that I book and yeah. leave my phone number. But yeah, you know, the whole the whole argument is you have to call a person back anyway. So you see that with the missed call. You don't need a voicemail to say, hey, call me back. And any information given in the voicemail, you generally rehash in that phone call and say, hey, I got your message. Oh, yeah. And then the message is repeated back to you. Yeah. So it's very redundant as apparently the word of the day this week. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, or the word of the weekend anyway. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. What, what are your guys' experience with voicemail and thoughts on getting rid of it? Nick, do you have any thoughts on voicemail? I do, actually. In my personal life, just, I don't know, unless it's a business or something, just don't bother. Yeah. Because, honestly, just, I don't know why we can't just adopt texting. Yeah. Or more like text-based messaging services. Because it's so much more efficient. It's not like a full-on email that you have to, I mean, even then, I would rather just get an email than a voicemail. Because it's just, and especially the automated mailboxes, like, <laughs> yeah, I got a package with call display now, so I have to wait for it to read out what number it called or what number called me. And yep. it's like, just give me the message. They'll probably tell me themselves who they want me to call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or it's like. Even when it says, you know, this person called you because you do have call display and it's one of your contacts, contacts, and you still have to wait for it to read out the number. It's like, you already told me who called me. Just, God, get to it. That being said, this week I've been doing some very low-level event management kind of stuff and, like, having to call people. And voicemail has worked exceptionally well for me with calling businesses. 
It's worked well. People have returned the calls. Yes, yes. Well, some of them. (laughs) Others, like that voicemail is just a black hole. And the best one was where I called a voicemail and it said, oh, email this person because we don't really check this voicemail. It's like, okay, thank you for your honesty. And then I emailed that address and it got bounced. Because, because of course. Uh, That's good. Yeah. That's an interesting note because, yeah, the whole don't worry about voicemail thing works when you know who's calling or when you when you don't care as much about calling a random number that called you back. But yeah, when you're cold calling or someone's not expecting a call or doesn't already have your number, then chances are like if I get a, a call like just from a random number and they don't leave a message. Usually I won't call back. Because then it's like, oh, I got a call from this number. Who is this? Because that's just weird. And it could be a wrong dial, like a misdial or whatever. So I don't know if there's a solution for that. Well, my other, and that's one of my methods of call screening. It's like if they really wanted to get a hold of me, they would leave a message. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, On like another note on voicemail is, I mean, you do have the option of leaving a callback number. On occasion, but which I've a, never seen anyone ever do. Yeah, yeah. But there's also the aspect where, like, I was calling people, and I was like, "I, if you can get back to us, I don't want you to call me. I want you to call this other person." Right. Yeah. Just because. Yeah. So I just counted in the last month, I have received 36 calls that I did not answer. That's a lot. I. It seems like since I wrote that piece, the number of calls increased dramatically. Like since I set up my voicemail to to say, "Don't leave a voicemail. If you do, I'm not going to check it. Leave, send me an email instead." That all the people, all the numbers that I recognize, and I'm like, "Oh, I wonder if they'll send me an email." They've all sent me emails, and every other number is just random, and they don't leave a message now, which is good. Uh. But like I, it seems like I get way more calls. So, but but they don't seem important because they, if it's not important enough to call back or leave an, send an email or leave a voicemail, then obviously it's not worth yeah. the phone call. The CGP Gray method of calling people. Yeah. Then there's at work. I'm calling people that I know or have interacted with before, so I'll, I'll call, leave a message. Then send an email saying, hey, I left you a message. And then yeah. proceed to tell them what I said in that email. Yep. Because the chances are they're out, so they have their phone with them. So they'll read the email, but they don't have a chance to actually answer their phone or check the message. So, Right. I don't know. It's silly. You, you guys hear CGP Grey started a new podcast about productivity? Did Isn't he? it just a collaboration series with a different podcast? What do you mean collaboration series? Well, it's an existing podcast he's doing a 10-episode series for. It's an existing network that he's doing starting with 10 episodes. Oh, I misread the thing. Okay. Like, Hello Internet uh, is Brady Heron and CGP Grey. Right. And they started off, they commit 10 episodes at a time. No, I know. And so this is the same thing as that. Oh, I because they, I... They've committed 10 episodes so far. Okay, I thought it was like if we had CGP on our show and he did that 10 episodes for us under the Future Chat name. I thought that was what he was no, doing with no, his other show. No, it's a new show. podcast. Okay, gotcha. Yep. 
quite Man, good. Man, that'd be cool, though. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yeah, As I was saying it, cool. I was thinking about how cool that would be. One million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I'll recommend that. Uh, if it's a relay f, relay.fm slash Cortex. Cortex is the name of the show. Oh, so Relay's the network. Yep. Gotcha. But uh, Nick may want to avoid because they like a lot of his productivity includes Apple products, and so they talk about Apple in some instances. But that was it's just not opening. just Apple. Like listening to him talk about his, his productivity methodology is just <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose that's how I'd sum it up best. It's <sighs> yeah. Well, that, he he also does that a lot though. I mean, that's kind of a <laughs> a CGP oh, yeah. great thing to uh, do. That's total reference too. Ah, yeah, funny. All right, so before we go, Nick, let's uh, let's talk about your liberal agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought you know, as as a group that is heavily interested in the muzzling of science, and that we are interested but don't approve of it, uh, I thought you guys would be very happy to hear about it. But I am very happy. I was wrong because you guys I'm, are dicks. I'm very happy to hear about it. I just think it's funny to use the term liberal agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm even wearing the shirt today. So, yeah. So, what's going on? I'm wearing red for our listeners. <laughs> uh, no. So, um, oh, where'd my article go? Yeah. Uh, Ted Sue or something. He's a liberal MP from Kingston and the Islands or something like that. Uh, I'm not even sure why I follow him. I'm pretty sure it was because of Dave, Dave Bryce. Okay. Uh, Rob's and my professor and Rob's supervisor for a while. Yeah. Uh, he tabled a motion to unmuzzle scientists and, oh, yeah. Okay. So the motion was to, quote, immediately rescind all rules and regulations that muzzle government scientists. And, I mean, that failed, obviously, because the Tories have a majority at the moment. Yes. But I was thinking, like, man, they could have just let it go through, and that would have removed so much criticism of their governing style but they didn't vote for it because I don't know why, but they didn't. Okay. But so in the aftermath of that, the liberals have pledged that if they form government, the, they would eliminate all regulations that censor government scientists, giving them freedom to speak about their work. Point two, create a central portal for government-funded or government-created science for ease of access. And three, establish a chief science officer to ensure government science is freely available to the public. Okay. That seems like a step in the right direction, at least. That seems like, I mean, funding aside, because we've had a lot to say about government funding of science. Yes. And they make no mention of what that would look like. Yeah. But... God, would I love for them to be able to just talk to people without getting in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Be- being able to be openly critical of your government and not expect not 
not thinking what are the repercussions going to be is kind of essential to an open democracy. Well, and I mean, science in a political context, like you should be able to say the facts do not agree with what you're saying. Right. Like that. I, I don't understand. Like I am, if I'm a government scientist, I'm getting paid to do this work accurately. Yeah. Like you, the government are paying me to do this work. And then you're telling me not to tell people because it disagrees with what you're telling people. And it's like, uh, yeah, doesn't, doesn't fit together very well at all. It's tricky because we've talked before how a government is like a company, right? It has lots of money and it allocates it accordingly and they'll have research, but the things they say is heavily scrutinized and other countries are watching and it's a service to the people and they take the government's word for like with a lot of authority, I guess. So when say if a company, they discover, you know, a leak somewhere like an oil, a pipeline leak. Yeah. You're not just going to go out and just let the person who discovered it just go and publish that in whatever way they want, in the way that's the most educating, but isn't doesn't pass through their PR filter, right? Yeah, you're going to have a very standard form based press release saying blah 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 blah. You know, oh, we're still investigating blah 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 blah. Like it's going to be vague, but still informing to the least that they need to. Yeah, essentially, right? So they're not spooking shareholders or the environmentalists or whatever. I. Is it deceptive? And there's a prime difference. Like the, a government's job is not to turn a profit, and it's not beholden to shareholders. It's go on. Sorry. Right, it's beholden but, to voters. But yeah, when it when it's going on about say like resource investment or energy investment, yeah. it is it is about generating interest in like other companies investing into those. Right. Yeah. So when you have science that comes out and says, "Well, this is bad for the environment." you need to control that and say it in a way that doesn't discourage that because it is the government's job to promote the resource development in a responsible way, of course. But yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but it's, it's kind of that, that fine line between PR, but also scientific. I mean, I, I guess on that note, I would prefer a government to be open about saying, yes, this isn't the greatest thing for the environment. But being human beings in our current society isn't good for the environment. Yeah. It's a matter of balancing, you know, what we need to be successful and happy with. And no, I guess that's like part of it. Because in order for us to be successful and happy in the long term, we need to, you know, do things within the environment responsibly. And of course, things are going to cause damage. Like a bunch of stuff we're doing right now causes damage. All the equipment we're using has co- has had some uh, environmental cost. The electricity we're using has some environmental cost. But you need to communicate that yes, like this might hurt things, but we're going to try and minimize our in- impact because we have to in order for our long term success. Yeah. 
Can we just end it right there? <laughs> no, I feel I, like I, that. Yeah. I think it's, no, it's, this is a good initiative that the liberals are doing and, and yeah, I'm in full is. support of anything that promotes science and the transparency of it for sure. And That's that good. is one of the things I disagree with the conservative uh, modus operandi that they, they kind of are anti-science in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And well, yeah, I just, I really hope they're willing to put money well, one, actually do this if they form government. And at the moment, the polls look like, well, they're duking it out for opposition at the moment. Mm-hmm. And we'll right. see where we are in October. Yep. But it'd yeah. be nice if, one, they follow through with this, and two, they actually you know, fund some research because it's great if you pledge to allow scientists to freely speak to people but if they're not actually working on stuff then there's not much to talk about right i think it's going to be it's unfortunate because the same thing that happened in alberta with splitting the conservative vote you're going to have the same thing in canada with the the left-wing vote it's going to be split uh, 308.com at all no it was really interesting they did an analysis of you know, like there, because the obvious criticism of the result in Alberta recently is that the right was divided between Wildrose and PC. Uh, Eric Grenier went into some detail on at least one poll that asked what people's second choices were. And he went through that as an ad- analytical experiment. And apparently, like, if the right was united, they still would have lost. Because the people who voted PC would have voted NDP instead of Wild Rose. Because apparently people's second choices were not obvious. Hmm. Like you would assume that a Wild Rose second choice would be PC. Right. Almost always. Yeah. But a lot of those Wild Rose people were just really upset with the PC party. And so they're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's all i can do mike scoffs and rolls his eyes <laughs> no they were really upset with the pc government so their second choice was the ndp and which so, is completely logical <laughs> yeah on a left and right basis of course totally but like i don't know like a lot of the polling was indicating that you know i just really hate these people and I like these people. So my second choice isn't obvious, but there is no way I'm voting for that person. Right. It's like, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, so that's how that went. Um, which is super interesting. I cannot re- recommend 308.com enough. <laughs> and I'm going to give you guys some homework for this week. Okay. Because I'm sure you guys love podcasts. I do. I listened yes. to many of them. I was going to say, Mike, you you were pretty I, quiet. I, there I listened. For a I listened to one of them, but <laughs> is it this one? <laughs> <laughs> I listened to feedback as well. Okay. So, okay. yeah, highly so, recommend that uh, podcast. Ideas from CBC East Meets West too. I listened to East Meets West. East yeah. Meets West. It's a good one. Um, when it comes out, 
So <laughs> ideas from CBC dropped three episodes this week called Science Under Siege. I've listened to the first one and it was really good. Got me all fired up, full of upsetness. And uh I th- I think we should I think we should all listen to them over the week and talk about them next week. Okay, I I'm subscribing to the feed right now. Cool. You're going to have to like go back a couple episodes or something. Rob, can you send me the, the podcast link for that cuz They're the three latest episodes. Oh yeah, they are the three latest episodes, I think. Yeah. Let me check. They they definitely are. I can see it right here. And yes, Mike, okay. I will send Good. it to you. Okay, thank you. But it's going to be on iTunes. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> I can send you the RSS, Mike. That that would help. That'd be more useful. All right. Cool. <laughs> uh, um, is there anything else you want to say about uh, about this or anything else? I just... I really hope that come the next election, something's going to change for the better. At least with respect to science. Yeah. At least not have majority government. Yeah. The conservatives. Well, yeah, because uh, I actually didn't mind Harper nearly as much when he was a minority prime minister. Because, like, when he started going off the deep end, people would be like, whoa, 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 now he can't do that. And he's like, oh, man, I want a majority. <laughs> and then he got one. <laughs> he sure did. Okay. I feel like that's a good place to leave it. Yeah, okay. We'll talk all about WWDC next week. And yes, science. And, uh, well, obviously, uh, and science and tech, but we'll leave it for I mean, now. like, science is a meta topic. <laughs> yeah, <guess>. of course. <laughs> all right. Thanks, uh, thanks, listeners, to those for those who are still here at the two-hour mark. Uh, and thanks for listening. See you guys later. Bye. Ciao.